0: Welcome to Bass Cafe with Holly and Dean. I'm Holly West.
1: And I'm Dean.
0: And we are two bassists on planet Earth trying to make people learn more about bass.
1: <laughs> yeah, because they need to. Bass players bass- don't get any respect.
0: <laughs> That's right. This is our third episode of Bass Cafe with Holly and Woo-hoo! Dean. The first two I think Turned out pretty good we just uh released our second one and um so far so good i can't think of anybody that's uh, uh, there's one person that disliked our first video I, I saw dude
1: there's always one there's always one <laughs> i thought i was like really really so all right troll it troll it that's fine that's fine
0: yeah they don't have enough going on in their life <laughs> maybe they should play bass
1: I, uh, I, I watch a few different YouTube channels and I especially love this one guy, Simon Whistler. He always says, smash the dislike button. Yeah, smash <laughs> yeah, cause, that. Yeah, because whatever. Man, Interact smash. with it. I don't care. Hate it.
0: Hate that button. <laughs> but we are having so much fun and yeah. we're able to bring in a lot of our really close and uh, awesome friends that we've either toured with or we've just been friends with for a long time. Uh, to do a lot of bass talk, and we're very, very excited that today we're going to be talking about the bassist's primary role, which is so important. Know your role. Know your role. Yes. <laughs> and as a bassist, sometimes it's kind of confusing. Where does it actually fit in? What are we actually are we doing here? And then later on, we'll have uh, an interview. I did an interview with my friend Pete Merluzzi. You don't know him by name, but I guarantee you he's been at some of the best concerts that you've been you've been at. He has toured with some of the biggest names in the business. He started out with Our Lady Peace and right now he's on tour well, he works with uh with Judas Priest. So You've seen him. You've you have you you know you might know his voice uh, if you ever went to the Slash shows. He was the, the he did the opening uh, the opening voice for Slash shows. So, yep, he's been on tour with Slash and so um, let's see ACDC, uh, Guns N' Roses, all those people. So I wanted to talk to him about since he's been a bass player since he was a kid. I wanted to talk to him about how he perceives bass players and being with some of the best ones touring all over the world, how, what he thinks, uh, who, who he thinks is up to par.
1: Right, out of all those legends.
0: Out of all those legends, who's the best one?
1: <laughs> um, so, like, I always look at, like, we're talking about the role of a bass player, right? Like, for me, I say it all the time. Like, it's what makes the hips shake, you know? And because of that, we have to find our dead groove, if you will. yes um yeah we uh we have to find our groove and like sometimes that's it's a really important topic that not everybody like attaches when you open up a book on how to play either guitar or bass right they don't always talk about what it's like to gel with your bandmates because you're not always just playing on the one you're not always just hitting a root note you're not sometimes you're you're floating a little bit sometimes you're playing a triplet beat while everyone else is doing four four or you know when's that that scale run supposed to come in you know do you put it on top of the drum fill or do you put it opposite the drum fill you know on the other the opposing bar so that way it stands out more and adds dynamic these are really important questions you know
0: yeah, and I know playing um playing in Zepparella, playing John Paul Jones's parts live that there's a lot of manipulation. There's a that. lot
1: of there's a lot of his notes that are like I've I learned a few Zeppelin songs, nowhere near like you, right? But um on bass for School of Rock in Los Angeles, we did a Zeppelin show and the staff band, you know, we learned some songs and performed them for the kids. And I learned those those bass parts and I was trying to be overly critical of like, you know, I'm the teacher. So I better play it. Perfect. You know? And I, I really wanted to get all those little things. And there's some notes that he puts in there where he like rushes them, like right before the bar, Mm -hmm. uh, right before the bar ends, he like rushes these notes in there that are, but aren't, but are, but aren't on time, you know, (laughs) like, and, and it's just it's so perfect it it adds this element yeah. to the music you know when you know where to play with your band
0: yeah yeah and you know if you play with a really really good drummer and you play with somebody that you really connect with that's another thing that just helps. I've been very fortunate to play with some really awesome drummers and it makes a big difference when you're when you're trying to really push those boundaries of of the music that you're playing
1: especially when I get a gig playing bass, if I don't have a good drummer, then it's a full-time job.
0: It is a full-time job. It's a because full-time
1: you're, job. Because you're like,
0: marrying everything, you're putting everything together, so.
1: And I'm so hands-on, I'm like, you know, even though a lot of my gigs are like stage techs um, too, right? I get stage tech gigs or playing gigs. When I'm playing, if something happens, I like I'm like half a tech, like if the kick drum mic like mm-hmm. gets knocked out by like the singer or someone running by, I'll be playing bass, walk up and like move it with my foot and like hold it in place or if like the drummers kick drum starts like beefing forward as they hit it, I, I walk over and I put my foot in front of it and like move it back and like right. So if I get a drummer who can't hold the beat, but I'm a bass player who's willing to be your cinder block. like literally like it's it's just a hard job like it's bad enough when you have to face away from the crowd and go and you know fix the onstage catastrophe but then to go and like come on dude like get on the one like you know like anything like that trying to coach a drummer back you know and to take away from the show for that that's just like hard man
0: it's really hard because the bass and the drum, I mean, it's the backbone and the heartbeat of the music. And so if they're not syncing together, it's, it makes your job really hard.
1: Yeah. And I usually tend to be a part of bands that are where everyone is like a mini composer of the show too, right? Like the best bands are the ones when you don't have to talk mm-hmm. and you can just communicate, right? And you have to like uh what is it called like web and flow with each with each other
0: yeah yeah you have like silent communication (laughs) i have that a lot with um with i mean with everybody that that i'm on stage with uh because you do have visual cues for certain songs or pretty much every song you always have visual cues as well as audible cues uh, but when you want to go up to somebody and rock out with them, I mean, you go up there and you rock out. You don't be like, "Can I go and rock out, rock out with you?" You know, it's just right. you. You all work together to put on the show. And, um, but and that's but, the other
1: thing. Like I always want to go over to my drummer to rock out with him, not go over there and like
0: tell him what to get do, get him to
1: find <laughs> the groove. You know, or like you know, remember when the cha- like sometimes yeah. that stuff happens. But that's like when you when you're the team, right? When you're yeah. when you're building together, that's different. But
0: yeah but i think both of you have been pretty or both of us have been pretty fortunate not to have to
1: not anymore man but (laughs) but back in the day all the time all the time yeah Yeah, i think it'd
0: be better to practice with a metronome than a bad bad drummer
1: (laughs) right and to be fair i mean who knows i probably wasn't even as great of a you know a a bassist either at those those points you know but it's all about coming up you know and working um but yeah so one of the things that i've played in a few punk bands on bass um i played with the independence in 2015 i did a six-week tour with them that was really cool because i had never even really known that band Mm -hmm. um too much like i I knew him from playing shows with them because i did punk rock tours with darrow chemical company and stuff um but when i got that gig i learned so much about how to approach bass differently because all right so i'm like mainly i was raised on like industrial music and metal music right everything 90s so it was like from metallica to allison change and nine inch nails and marilyn manson and you know even maybe a garth brooks song here and there because it was the 90s but like maybe one or two new kids on the blocks you know (laughs) that's my era I, I definitely used to say sing hanging tough walking down the hallway is interesting yeah, okay. i don't
0: even remember those songs but there you go thank you oh
1: i do oh i do
0: oh,
1: <laughs> but um when i when i got the gig it was a last minute gig and we're going to touch in on this later um but when i got when i got the gig it was a last minute gig i was supposed to go on tour playing lead guitar for the opening band and wound up playing bass for the headlining band on the tour right but I, I got three days for those songs. And so the, the guitar player told me, he's like, listen, man, just you know, play the root notes. Don't worry. Don't go crazy. Um, just, just get it. And I did. I learned the root notes to get myself through the song. But I focused so hard because I really, really, really wanted to know there were so many bass runs within mm-hmm. this ska music, right? It's horror ska. Um, Joey Joey Ramone used to manage the band mm-hmm. and I just wanted to you know I wanted to learn that I wanted to see where that fit and it was I, I worked on it like the first few weeks of the uh, first week and a half of the tour like trying to just get everything in place and it really brought in my perspective you know I was a guitar player who had to then play bass for for bands so I had to like not play bass like a guitar player. Mm -hmm. that's that's a very big thing for me yeah like i i still am not a hundred percent bass player when i play i still approach some of it like a guitar player because duh but um i try and and learn as many things as i can on where to sit because it is such a different plane of playing it's not Mm -hmm. just right there you know it's here (laughs)
0: yeah yeah there's there's kind of a um a matronly touch matronly how do you say it? like a motherly touch <laughs> like it's it's kind of a feminine no, i'd say feminine touch like it's very just you, ha- you just kind of have to know you know it's like a sixth sense i don't know yeah. how you- and,
1: and that the same goes for even like crazy tapping stuff like you only can tap in those crazy intervals right when you see uh in uh one of our next episodes i'm going to talk about i did an interview with my friend killian duarte from mm-hmm. scale of summit and he plays eight finger tapping you know mm-hmm. and and uh you still have to know when you can put that stuff in there where it can go you're not you know you're not always tapping the root notes that the guitar is doing if you have like a guitar player tapping and a bass player tapping sometimes you guys are playing harmonies sometimes you guys are playing you know a counterpoint sometimes yeah. you're doing counter rhythms mm-hmm. you know like and then that all the bass you know they it helps marry the drums to the guitar especially in complex music especially in prog music
0: mm-hmm. absolutely yeah the technique is really really important but your rhythm and your harmony are really essential as well.
1: When you you first started playing, what was the hardest, um, like, aspect of finding the groove for you, if you don't mind me asking?
0: Well, I was kind of thrown in. So I really just had to learn how to play the songs, you know, and play, I guess it was the rhythm. I guess it was the playing the right notes at the right time. You know, uh, I was kind of blind as far as, you know, where I was supposed to be. I just knew that I had frets I had to be on. And uh, this song was in this fret and then you go to this fret. You know, (laughs) It was very hard to break out of that box because I was I had to spend all of my time worrying about those songs. And then when I got from there, I started learning more about, um, you know, what the names of the notes were and then how they work together and what a scale is and how you take that scale and you can put it all over the neck, you know, and I think the hardest, I guess the hardest part wasn't technique then. It was, it was the learning, the, the, the things I needed to learn so that my skill levels were, um, I could use my techniques well,
1: right. Like, yeah, in the beginning for me, I didn't understand, like, I'm self-taught, so, for the most part, you know, and, like, research, and, uh, back in the day, it was, like, books, you know, from Barnes & Noble, and, or going to a concert, and then watching the bass player, or, or the guitar player, or the singer and the drummer, actually, watching the whole entire band, learning everyone, and how everyone does everything, because in order to be a better bass player, right, sometimes you have to go to the show and watch a drummer, you know, make sure that, you understand those maneuvers too, you know? Yeah,
0: actually, I'm, I'm still listening to Victor Wooten's uh, book on audiobook, uh, The Music Lesson, and, you know, his, the, the guy that visits him, his music teacher, um, he basically kind of says, you know, if you're a bassist, you're a bassist. It's okay, you're a bass player. But if you want to be a musician, you have to know music. And so it's so imperative to listen to everything that's going around you on around you. It's imperative to learn more than one instrument, and to branch out of whatever you know. You don't you don't want to just be a bass player because if you're just a bass player, then you're just a bass player. But you're not going to understand all of music that way. You need to become a musician. So it's really important. I
1: definitely get classified as a musician. Um, like I play drums first, right, and then. I play guitar and then a year later I got a bass and then um, I've sang on my own stuff. I play piano, not like, you know, I'm not a master at anything overly too, too much. I mean, you know, more guitar and bass than the others, but my knowledge of how to, of how notes work from my reference of the stringed instruments allows me to understand you know, where where the drums are or where the the keyboards are and understand at least the the concepts of if I do want to throw piano on a song, I don't have to be Beethoven. Yeah. I can just know what the bass and the guitar are doing and the vocals are doing mm-hmm. and play within that, you know, just add a layer. You could even just like a lot of bands, they put um, like synth tracks underneath, you know sine waves underneath following the rhythms and chugs and stuff and you have to just know what's going on if you want to get that pro production that we always talk about
0: yeah absolutely
1: especially with bass nowadays because we were we talked in our last episode on how you know the sound has changed from analog to digital
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and uh (laughs) everybody puts sine wave on with the bass. So like you have to know what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Like almost every metal album, like every White Chapel album, there's not, when you're hearing the bass, you're not just hearing their bass. You're hearing a keyboard part or a programmed out synth part that's laying underneath there, giving it that, yeah. that sound.
0: Yeah. And that's a really good point because if you are going to show and you have a record, you kind of, I know. As far as I'm concerned, I like for my record to sound like the show. I like if I want to go to a show, I don't want to hear a different band play. I want to hear the band that I hear on the record. And so, if you're putting so many of those tracks and so many layers, it's not going to sound like that live. And um, Uh, well,
1: now nowadays, nowadays it's just bring the laptop.
0: That's right. Yes. Run the iPad. Mm -hmm. Right, but with a lot of shows, you don't. You don't get that, especially if you're starting out, you're doing a couple, you know, your first couple records and you want to put so much production in there. You want to just make it sound so big, but you don't sound like that live and you can't pull it off live. They just don't do it.
1: Yeah, 700 vocal tracks.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ba-
1: bass is probably the one item in a band that doesn't get multi track to hell. On an album, like you
0: get punched in at places we might they just
1: get punched in, and they like if anything, they throw a synth on, you know, but like yeah. it's never like a guitar it's recording bass for an album too, right? Mm-hmm. I've never had this scenario where there was like forty bass tracks, but there's so many albums where like the drummer has seven million piece kit, so there's four thousand mics on the <laughs> on the thing and Top and bottom plus triggers, you know, like, and then and then it's like seven hundred vocal tracks, you know, all these harmonies, these major thirds, major six the seventh, you know, bringing up the ninth only the second time around, and then you know, oh, don't even get me started on when the guitar solo start. The guitar solos, how many? How many?
0: Two guitars.
1: And two guitar solos. Five guitar solos. One in the intro. One in the bridge. One of the outro, you know, and then the dual guitar keyboard harmonies going on, and then it's just like, bass. And then the bass player. All right, see you later, guys. <laughs> that's that's all it really is, man. It's uh, so uh,
0: important, right?
1: It's so important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Every, but that's it's thing. That Cause tor- that's all
0: we need, okay?
1: <laughs> hey, keep it simple, stupid. You know, like. Yes, there are there are bands that have like multiple, you know, bass tracks, approaches, and things like that. But like more often than not, it's I've never seen an album. I have never seen an album that has like forty bass tracks. I've definitely <laughs> seen albums that have forty guitar tracks.
0: Maybe like uh, maybe like Les Claypool. Maybe some of his albums.
1: Or, uh... Well, the other thing too that we always talk about. So and we uh, we also addressed it in the last episode is that it's such a low frequency yeah right a lot of our parts not all of them right when we get up the neck and we creep up the neck for solos or anything like that we're not we get we get away with more but most of what we're playing is, you know it's contrary to my personal belief bass really isn't always there to be heard it's really there more to be felt and you know and we're sitting in those lower frequency ranges Mm -hmm. there's really there's no room Mm -hmm. in a mix that we only hear so much low end with our ears anyway and like a lot of the times at shows we're not even so much hearing that as we are feeling the subwoofers you know break our rib cage
0: yeah exactly the the bass is the feeling of the music and um the way that we manipulate that is is what makes us good bassists and so um, I think, you know, when, when you're talking to people who have been around really, really great bassists and you're like, well, who's the best one? It's like you really can't put your finger on it because it just depends on what what they're doing with, with that bass at that this specific time.
1: <laughs> right. And and even, even we, we listed off, uh, you know, some of our favorite bass players.
0: Great bassists, yeah. And if
1: you want to see them, you go to episode two of bass cafe with holly and dean and then you could hear about us talk about our favorite bass players but when we listed that list off um everybody was so different in their approach Mm -hmm. you know everybody every single person we listed was so different in their approach but again like maybe on some albums a couple of them had four or five tracks never 40 (laughs) you know yeah we're just we're, we're go and and because, you know, everyone else is doing so much stuff, that's another reason why we have to be the glue. You know, if there's 40 guitar tracks and then 40 drum tracks and all those vocal parts, we have to be that center line as bass players of that that one thing, that where we sit, you know, the range of our instrument, mm-hmm. sonically, just the range that's on a bass player, it's in between everything.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, Um, and we can get up to higher notes on the neck where, you know, a vocalist might be, or at least an octave down, you know? Um, and somewhere pretty close. Um and it's all about how we play off the kick drum, how we play off the snare drum. Mm -hmm. You know, there's very many I love it when a band drops out Mm -hmm. and then just the bass plays to bring a band back in. Mm -hmm. And if the if the crowd starts clapping in a four-four, right? We talked about Carol Kay before. Yeah. The band starts clapping in four uh the crowd starts clapping in four four. If you can be a bass player, make it feel like like the the clapping is, is moving and, and swaying back and forth, that's where you're supposed to be as a bass player. Right? And then and then when the drums and drums and bass, just the two of them, if you're if you guys are locked in, you're going to blow the roof off the place. Yeah. 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 You know? It's
0: really magical what you can do with just bass and drums.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's all about following that kick drum, knowing where that hi-hat is, you know, like knowing where the drummer's fills are going to go. Yeah. That's really important.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you use monitor, do you use in-ears or monitors?
1: I've book. never used in-ears before in my life.
0: Okay, I haven't um, either.
1: Um, what do you, I was what do you I was going to get them for for Nita um uh, but we didn't we didn't really use them uh like if, if there was ever like a bigger thing like that's going to be my next expense right um because I run a fractal right and so I don't bring an amp um on those shows but I like I I always want to have a cab behind me <clears throat> but um in those moments yeah I usually just a floor monitor um Or like, best case scenario, um, floor monitors in front, one, maybe two, and then side fills. Yeah. The side fills really help because I can get the high end, like my pick scrape Mm -hmm. here, like in my face. So it's only hitting me. Yeah. And then I can get the low end coming from a side fill. Um, and this is with, with a fractal, right? So no, no cabinet on stage, nothing. So yeah, you getting, need that. getting okay. the side fill on those shows. at it kind of just throws the bass across the stage. Like, yeah. um, and there's even been times with, with no amp on stage, I have to turn down, you know, yeah. like <laughs> they have bass it, in it's so like the curse there. of a bass player. It's like, I don't even have a cabinet with me and you're making me turn down.
0: Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> I what do you put in your ears? Do you put uh what do you put in your ears? Nothing. Okay. So, Nothing. I don't put Okay, so you should probably put at least something in your ears.
1: Nope. No,
0: you don't you don't have to put earplugs in. Put uh tissue. I can't. I
1: I can't. It, uh I have to I I've, I've learned what hurts my ears. Um uh-huh. so um it's different when I have a band with a lot of amps on stage. I'll tell you. Um but when I'm in a band that's all digital rigs.
0: Yeah you didn't
1: it's not really as bad as you think you just yeah. just don't get really close to the china
0: um yeah, that's it's yeah, exactly.
1: honestly the only thing if i do wear an earplug, uh-huh. it's because i'm playing on the side of the stage typically where the china is and that's yeah. the only time and if i do i put an earplug in the ear that faces the drums if anywhere yeah. um but but the ear that's facing everything else i can't do it i yeah i've tried i mm-hmm. i so i i have two uh, with
0: all the earplugs and stuff and what i do is i just take a bev nap a beverage nap and i just um there's a certain way that fits perfectly in my ear and i'll tell you it cuts out the highs the the really really highs the ones that really damage your ears and it makes the lows not so loud so everything's not as loud it has saved my ears for sure because i used to not do anything as well but then i realized that it's probably gonna mess up my ears and my ears are sensitive too they they go back quickly like they recover really quickly
1: well back in the day i put a kind of really hard rule down about like shrill in tone you know not so much for other band members right because everybody is their own you know person but if someone needs help i will gladly always help them you know but um with my guitar tone or with my bass tone um i make sure to like i've always gotten compliments on my tones no matter what instrument i'm on and the only real thing that i started looking at when it Mm. came to me like finding my sound Mm. is i was trying to turn up my amp loud enough so that way it sounded like it was supposed to sound like in the mix, like volume, if it's supposed to be a band where the bass of the guitar is really high, well, I would have it really loud. But when I had it really loud, I always EQ'd out those frequencies that hurt me.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: And so I might not have like the most metalist sounding guitar tone, but I can crank it <laughs> and it will sound great. And it won't hurt me. And so like, you know, I, I I think I spoke about it on the first or second episode, my and I'll tell the world my amp settings, people think I'm nuts. But um, my low is up like 75 percent on my guitar amps and my uh, trebles in my mids are somewhere around 10 o'clock on the dial. Like like I, yeah. I just shut them all out. You know, I just I'd rather have a nice warm tone than anything that's going to make my ears ring. I just yeah. Hashtag kill the metal zone.
0: <laughs> kill the metal zone. Yeah. Great. Uh, well, good. Let's <laughs> a very yeah. bit about earplugs. Um.
1: <laughs> yeah, but no, listen. So many, so many people I know swear by them, and like, it would totally be different for me if I had in ears mm-hmm. too. But I also, yeah. I get nervous about that because I hear lots of people tell me that they have issues. Um, yeah. Yeah because they turn it up too loud in their ear right
0: you have to know how to work the ear the in-ears too absolutely. absolutely and i've always
1: been nervous about having in-ears and then getting that feedback yeah. I'll, I'll punch someone <laughs> yeah. oh i was i was
0: at the grocery store the other day and this cart that was like around me had this like high pitch to it and i was about to go crawl up the wall like i just I was in pain it was just awful
1: yeah there, there's two things that that turn me from uh from from nice guy to mean dean and uh, uh mean dean <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and uh one of them is like high feedback shrills for sure yeah yeah,
0: <sighs> yeah
1: they awful the other thing the other one is cold showers <laughs> if yeah. if i'm expecting a hot shower and i get like a brick cold shower i'd much rather just like punch my hand through the tiles than finish yeah. taking that shower
0: that's awful yeah i love you yep <laughs> so uh when i caught up with pete for this little uh bass talk uh it's kind of funny because we've been friends for almost 10 years and we both have been you know bassists and knew that we've been bassists you know we met and everything and we kind of uh connected on that and everything but we didn't have as big of a um, conversation about bass as we did this time and it was really cool to get his perspective on on things because I think when we think of, you know, when we're doing interviews, we always go for like the, the star, you know, like I would love to interview Duff McKagan, but guess what? Interviewing the person who spent all the time with them and on, you know, a different part of it, and he's also a bassist, it's kind of a cool way to go, you know, cool things to ask as well. So
1: I always find, too, that when we, uh, when we ask questions to the people who work with those people... Yeah, uh, they tend to know a little bit more about what's going on, <laughs> you know, like, you know how many how many stars I've met and you like like growing up and you're like, man, what what strings do you use? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know. T-
0: like, <laughs> what, are your,
1: what are your amp settings? I don't know.
0: I don't know. My t- no, I don't know. Dude sorry. dials
1: it in. Like, I just grabbed the guitar. Like,
0: oh. I just tell him what I want and he does
1: it. <laughs> yep. yep. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I tell him good, more or less yeah but yeah no and and it's really good to to get that perspective you know
0: yeah so he works he's worked with oh my gosh i can't even imagine working with the people that he's worked with um you like Hart, for instance he told me that you know Anne just gets up there she doesn't really rehearse she just gets up there and, and does her thing and that's just amazing to me <laughs> recorded right. uh, with Kid Rock. We got to go see I took my whole family to see them, uh, when he was in, in I think in Oklahoma or Texas and we went to the big to the show and that was really cool. I mean he puts on a great show and I got to hang out with his band afterwards and they're all just super, super cool people and um So, yeah, it's it's really awesome to to have friends that are so embedded in the industry. You just don't even know half the shit that they've done. That's just all really, really cool stuff.
1: Well, I mean, this is this tends to be one of those industries where if you're not a hustler, you're not getting the job. Right. And it tends to be those people who work the hardest mm -hmm. who get the gig. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of that is what we talked about. It's the people who work really hard and the people who can hang and who you can hang with. You know, if you're not a good hang, you're probably not going to be on the tour. Uh, we talk about Rudy Sarzo and how he is really cool to hang with, and he gets a lot of jobs. So, that's another thing that I think we're going to talk about in another episode: is just you know saying yes to the job and getting the getting the gig. And uh, Rudy is kind of the epitome of that. Everybody knows who he is. He's been on tons of stuff and he's toured with tons of people. But he's he's the guy. Man
1: after the, my own heart. Guy.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um so we get to talk about, um, you know, being, them being on tour with uh, Splash, Splash and the Conspirators and uh, with Guns N' Roses and so all types cool. of people. So, yeah, he's got some great stories. And as a bassist himself, uh, and then he has his own band. They're called Doomside. I've been editing a bunch of videos for them, uh, their music videos. And they are like a metal metal take on pop songs and popular songs. And it's really cool, actually. I really Me. like it. I like that. And it's super heavy, you know, super bass driven and heavy. And he sings on it as well. And he's got an amazing falsetto. I mean, I, he's got a really good radio voice, but he can hit,
1: you know? <laughs> I, I, I want to I take a snippet back to where you just, one of the things you just said, and I love it, that it's so heavy and it's so bass driven. I just would like to take that in my heart and take it in for a second and just know that when most people say heavy, what you really mean is more bass. Yes. It's <laughs> really what you that's that's really what you mean. What? Oh you mean like, oh, like play a nine string guitar? Oh, you mean like put bass strings on your guitar? Mm-hmm. Oh okay. Yeah. Right. It's right.
0: It's the bass.
1: It's the bass. Yeah. That low end. And and, and, and that goes back to what you had said in a previous episode too, about like probably from being in the womb, Mm
0: -hmm. you know, those
1: low frequencies, they drive us on the inside. They make us vibrate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I wanted to know his take on who the best bass player is out there.
1: (laughs) Not a controversial topic at all.
0: (laughs) I want to know what he thinks. And then I want to know what he thinks about all these guys up here. (laughs) All these famous bass players up here, what he doing. I just really want to point that. out that this
1: this this image of me is gonna be on YouTube. I are they
0: uh, Are they the best or are they not?
1: <laughs> oh hell no.
0: So this is what he had to say.
1: All right, take it away.
0: You have seen some of the best bassists play live you've sat down to dinner with them you probably have their numbers on your phone so
2: i've deleted all all the others
0: (laughs) (laughs) so i and being a bass player i wanted to kind of expand with you on what you who you think the best bassist is out there who do you think is the reigning champ
2: well it's such a, a loaded question because look for me The importance of each individual member of a band is about what the band's message is or what the band's sound is. Right. I mean, that's, you know, you could go back and look at Zeppelin and think, okay, John Paul Jones, probably one of the greatest bass players ever walked the face of the earth. Right. But it's because of what he did in that band, you know, and how he filled every gap that he needed to fill, but never overplayed his bass playing was so melodic. He was very McCartney-esque in his the melodies, you know, that he would play, right? But he wasn't singing. He kept himself busy playing keyboards and doing everything else that he was doing, you know, in the on those records. And he was a great writer, still is. Um, but then I look at guys that are much less credited as great bass players, like Dennis Dunaway from Alice Cooper. Dennis Dunaway may be the greatest bass player that's ever recorded bass parts on records because he's completely unique. There's, in all the years of listening and all the music I listen to, I can't tell you that there's another guy that plays like Dennis Dunaway does. You know, he's completely on his own planet. And that to me is probably the thing that makes bass players great. You know, I mean, Billy Sheehan is a great bass player right? Hands down, probably the most proficient bassist that's ever had mainstream success, right? If you were to look at it that way. Um, But is Billy the greatest bass player on the planet? I don't don't know. Some people don't like the way he plays, you know? Uh, Other people love it because he's a shred guy and that's what they love. But for me, it's never been about shred. It's been about what's right for the band, you know? Mm -hmm. Cliff Williams from ACDC. May be the greatest bass player on the planet, because he only plays what is absolutely necessary for those songs. And live, and in uh, on the on the records, he is the foundation of everything. He and the drummer Phil Rudd are. There's just no more solid rhythm section. Of course, Malcolm's part of that too. But th- those guys, you can't you can't knock those guys because he just plays a straight bass part, you know, that's what he does, what the bass was intended for, which is hold down the bottom. Uh, mm-hmm. Dusty Hill from ZZ Top is the same, you know, I mean, Dusty plays some badass grooves on those records, you know, and it's nothing complicated. It's not over the top crazy, but man, is it, could you imagine ZZ Top with anything else? You know what I mean? It just doesn't, it doesn't add up. So I guess it's all about how, you know, Ian Hill from Judas Priest, he's mm-hmm. another guy. People, th- I, I think Ian Hill has the greatest gig in rock and roll ever. I mean, he's he's he he has a three foot box on the stage that he stands in for the most part. He plays, he just throws down every night. And when you see them live, there's a lot more going on with Ian's bass playing than you hear on the records and, uh, until more recently, I think, right? But Ian is just. You know, the other thing about a lot of those guys is they're just the nicest guys in the world, you know, and that's the other thing that I love about the, my life and the experience that I've had. I've gotten to work for a lot of bands that I grew up listening to. And I, I, I have to say that I've never really been disappointed by any of the people that I grew up, you know, you know, putting on a, a pedestal as a, as, a, as a young musician or as just a music fan, you know, so I'm fortunate in that world i've had other people that i didn't care for at all anyway kind of live up to exactly what i was expecting but it's um it's so nice when you get into that world and you see these guys that just when they step on stage it's just it's perfect so they don't have to play a lot of notes they don't have to be you know they don't have to be you know tapping and you know slapping and popping and you know whatever else it's What's right for the song, you know, and what's right for the band. You know, I mean, could you imagine ACDC with a with Billy Sheehan playing bass? It'd be idiotic, you know. Um, so I think it's just about what's right, you know, for the sound. And and that's that's not for any of us to decide, you mm-hmm. know, that's for us to listen to and go, Yeah, I I get that.
0: You yeah. know, yeah, exactly. That was a trick question. It yeah. You- Know who the best bassist is because everyone has their own opinion on it, and there's so many there with technique, and then there's so much just being a solid basis. The best bassist would be somebody that is just solid, uh, who plays the parts well, and Mm. you can hang with, and goes well with the band, and and it's different for every band. So yeah,
2: and it's it's key in this business. You know, I mean, we talk about this a lot, and I know that you and I have had this discussion over the years too. It's 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 not always about, you know, you don't have to be the best to have this job, right? You know, you just have to be the right person for this situation. And that's the same in the crew world. It's the same in, you know, in the band and musician world. Um, But, you know, there are those people that do stand out, you Mm -hmm. know, and there's these guys that have had different successes in different parts of the business, whether it's live or recording or whatever, you know, where they shine, you know, So,
0: yeah. Yeah. And there's some really good ones out there. I mean, you mentioned, you know, Paul McCartney and John Paul Jones being at the top just for the melodic, you know, way that they play and how they married everything in the band and and kept everything together. And uh, I know from playing all of John Paul Jones's parts that Mm. there's so much more in there that you don't even you don't even realize until you start really digging deep. And you can sit there with the headphones on really loud and really try to listen. But until you start playing, you and you start manipulating the music the way that he did, then you really start appreciating all the things that were behind it.
2: Yeah. I mean, you got to remember two things about those guys is one, McCartney was also a singing bass player, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people don't give enough credit not to of course Paul gets all the credit in the world but the, the reality is singing bassists it's a challenge in a lot of ways and you know this I mean you do it you know and it's when you're playing counter melody and you have to sing something completely different than what you're playing it's a lot different than strumming chords and mm-hmm. singing a melody over the top of it when you're actually playing something that's counterintuitive to that whole thing um a lot of people don't get credit for that you know
0: yeah. Because a lot of bass is melody. It's not just, you know, one single note and you can do some power chords when you're on, you know, you playing guitar and, and singing, but it's, it's not the same when you're trying to really manipulate everything and go with something more melodic. Right.
2: And there's, you know, the guys that, the guys that stand out to me, I mean, the reason why I started, I'm a huge kiss fan, as you know, and one of the reasons why I started to play was because of Gene and you know, Gene's one of the most maligned bassists on the planet. You know, people people mock him and say that he's terrible. I mean, you go back and listen to those records, though, and then you realize that Gene sings leads on 50% of all the music, wrote 50% of the music, if not more, at different times, sings all the high harmonies on the records, right? Like his falsetto is all over the place, right? And he's to this day, his voice hasn't changed he hasn't lost anything. He hasn't, you know, it's not like his range has expanded, but the guy can sing and play all day long, you know, and his, it seems like his creativity is just endless, you know, um, there's, you know, Getty Lee is that guy. Like when you sit and think about what he was doing and playing and singing at the same time, playing keys, playing bass and singing, it's kind of ridiculous, you know, when you think about how separate, his brain is when he's doing all this stuff. And I mean, I can't comprehend that as a bassist. I I sing, I play, but I struggle to do both at the same time. So it's one of those things that, you know, you gotta give people the credit where credit's due, you know? And that's a nuance that a lot of people don't talk about.
0: Yeah. That's definitely the nuance that people don't talk about. And you get into a player like Les Claypool, of course, you know, he's doing so much different technique over and, and playing and, and singing at the same time. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of insane.
2: Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, and the other thing about him is that it's really, he's, there's nobody that plays like that guy, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, there's people that emulate him now, mm-hmm. but when he came out, I mean, he was on his own trip, you know, his own planet. I mean, you can hear Jocko's influence on, you know, a guy like him, but at the same time, he's just in a totally different planet. You
0: uh, you know Zappa was just he wanted to do something completely different I think let's yep. Claypool same thing he just wanted to do something yep. completely different which makes them amazing you know yeah uh, <laughs> they've paved yeah. their own way
2: yeah I mean it, it's it's hard you don't you don't find too many acts where the bass defines the sound of a band right wow. and uh, or a player defines the sound of something I mean James Jamerson maybe was one yeah. of the first you know Motown and And it's funny to think about that because when you go back and learn James's stuff, it's, it's his note placement. It's his melody. You can see and hear his influence over everything. But then when you step back and look at the entire Motown picture and the three or four bass players that played on everything, you kind of look at it and go, wow, how did they, you know, he set the bar and then they found these other people that came in and, and were just as talented and, but kind of defined the same sound. You know, the bass drove the music in a lot of that stuff. And, uh, yeah. you what know, it gave it the bounce, you know, and special, special stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, John Deacon uh, did a lot of really awesome stuff. And Queen, yep. I mean, he's just, I was learning some Queen and didn't realize how intricate his work was. Duff McKagan yeah. as well. I've learned a lot of Guns uh, N' yeah. Roses. He's extremely intricate in the way he plays. Um, he's got
2: a style of his own too. You know, another guitar player that turned to bass. You know, his punk, the punk influence is all over his playing. Yeah,
0: and you can tell his punk influence by the way he uses his pick. It's all kind of downstrokes and it's just yeah. so low. And he's just total punk. Yeah. But he, he turned that those bass lines into something you know super memorable. Yeah. So bass lines are noted as the best bass lines in rock and roll history.
2: Just fits the songs, right? He he found the gaps. He played what fit he was he's got melodic aspects to his playing. He's got he's got a great percussive aspect to his playing without it being that slap and pop thing, yeah. you know. And it, it's just that aggressive, punky nature that he approaches it with, you know. And but then I mean you think of all the big ballads that they had too and his playing's just perfect on all of those.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Know? it's it yeah those are kind of for bassists those ballads are, are can be kind of boring
2: <laughs> sometimes yeah no, he keeps he keeps no. it pretty interesting though he, he's got god you know like you think about i don't know if sweet child of mine is really a ballad but that bass part that intro part and the fills that he plays throughout the song i mean they keep the song moving Absolutely. you know that that melodic intro that he plays it's it's again one of the most identifiable bass Parts of all time,
0: yeah. And you he, know. yeah, when you're going from like a one, four, five song structure to keep things interesting, you really do have to have some good fills in there. And I think yeah. Duff has done that really well over the years, for sure. Yeah.
2: And you know, you got to talk about guys like Cliff Burton. You know what what we could have heard from him if he had, if he was still alive. You know, um,
0: yeah, absolutely. Geezer
2: absolutely. Butler. You know, I mean, this <laughs> Sabbath and Cooper. Kiss and Aerosmith are probably the four bands that I've learned the most songs from Mm -hmm. You know, since I started to play bass when I was nine or 10, however young I was when that happened. But those four bass players are, I don't know if there's anything that defined rock more. You know, I mean, John Paul Jones, of course, has got to be in that discussion. But for me, those four bands were the bands that I grew up loving. And then Deep Purple which was like this eye-opening thing for me that was just like cuz there was an element of progressiveness in their music but they were a rock band they didn't they didn't on record they never got really proggy it was about rock songs you know the yeah. riffs were straightforward and catchy and legendary and the bass playing behind that big keyboard the big guitar riffs you know Roger Glover and Glenn Hughes yeah. you know just Two completely different guys, completely different styles, but man, some of the best recorded rock songs of all time in that short little window, you know, '70 70 to '76, yeah. and then you know '84, Perfect Strangers, Perpendicular is another one where Roger Glover's playing on is it. just—that's a later album with Steve Morse on guitar. But if you're a Purple fan or you don't know a lot about Deep Purple, that record will blow your mind. Yeah, You know, the whole band is just on fire and some of the bass parts are just beautiful parts, you know.
0: So at 9 or 10 years old, when you decided to play bass, why did you pick bass instead of guitar?
2: (laughs) I didn't have a musical bone in my body, right? I didn't have a family member that was a musician, anything like that. It was just something music just kind of hit a chord with me really young. And I was so into it that I just wanted to do something that, I wanted to play, I wanted to learn something, you know? Um, And I was, a, you know, I was a huge Kiss fan and Gene was the be all end all, you know? It was like, look at this guy, you know? <laughs> and it wasn't, I didn't know anything about if he was a good player or not. I just knew that his presence,
0: uh-huh.
2: the, the the songs, you know? Like there was stuff that it just spoke to me as a kid, right? Like,
0: oh boy, who loves kids. Yeah,
2: yeah, oh. I was like, you know, yeah. and they weren't even in makeup when I was growing up. You know what I mean? Like I, I got into them. I got into them at the end of that, you know, and, and nobody was like, oh, yeah. Um, but it was
0: Jewish man with hairy chest.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> but it was just that that there was something just that spoke to me about it. You know, I remember seeing them on like I remember the movie being on TV when I was really little and I remember seeing them when they took their makeup off, like on entertainment tonight and all that kind of stuff. I was, you know, six or seven. And, uh, there was just something about them that when I went to buy my first record, I knew them, you know, Oh, I know who that is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I want that, you know? And then I would, you know, um, and that started a lifelong, you know, obsession or, or, you know, fandom with that band and, and, uh, And I still, I still love them to this day. You know, they're one of those bands that I can always go back to. And I never, I don't know. I never, you know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, you know, I grew out of that. I don't listen to them anymore. I'm like, they just write great songs, you know, whether you like them or not. They're great three and a half minute rock songs, catchy. And they've done it forever. Uh, You know?
0: They've they've marked their territory. (laughs) I
2: I can't, I, I honestly, like as much music as I listen to the bands that I always go back to, you know, Aerosmith and Kiss, Deep Purple, they're still making records. They're you know,
0: classic. There's yeah. something about them that can't really easily be reproduced. I mean, it can be reproduced, but not the way that they do it. It doesn't, it doesn't stand out as well as when they do it. And they have their fan base and they've been able to.
2: I mean, ACDC is awesome. the same, you know I mean? Look at this new yeah, record, that record that they just put out.
0: Their new record is the same.
2: It's like
0: ACDC. <laughs> why would it be anything different?
2: It, but it's unbelievable you know it's like they you know they put out albums where they haven't had as many great songs or whatever it is but this record is just like it's from top to bottom it's just one of those things where you're like wow like they and, and you know what's strange is that they've had so much up and down you know crazy tragedy in their career and successes and tragedies happen and it's like they're if they get hit with something they come back even stronger yeah. and it's just that's an unbelievable trait that a lot of musicians do not have.
0: You yeah, know? yeah. That,
2: that's something that I have to give them, you know, huge tip of the hat,
0: mm-hmm. you know.
2: And it, it's I can't pick another band that's, you know, got the milestones that they have, you know. And uh, it's you know, think about it, you know, it's just hard, it's hard to come up with anything. So, and it's just a great. Yeah, I love going back to those things. There's something familiar about them. There's something that no matter what you listen to in between, it's like, this is your base, you know? And then is that, is part of it because of these guys that we're talking about today? Yeah, of course. I mean, all the bands that we just talked about have had the same guy playing bass from day one, you know, from their recorded careers, you know? And it's, does it help? Does it help keep an identity? Sure,
0: you know? I, yeah, I think so for sure. Yeah. Um, so you've been able to tour with some of the best bass players in the business. So, what, how do you feel being as being a bass player and sitting on the sidelines backstage and yeah. hearing these guys play over and over every night for years? How do you feel about some of these badasses going out there? Do you think that they've you know, there's really stepped to, up to the challenge or you think that there's other people out there that could do a better job or what do you, how do you feel?
2: I mean, you know, I've gotten to, I've gotten to watch some guys, some that I never knew of, you know, I mean, the, there was a guy that played upright bass for the big band for Brian Setzer, right? Mm-hmm. I did the jump jive and whale tour as a merch guy. And uh, I was like 20, well, I was 21, when that twenty one twenty two, and mark winchester was this nashville session guy right and he had taught himself to play upright bass for that gig like it wasn't that he was like yeah i'm this accomplished upright bass player he went out taught himself so that he could audition and every night when i'd watch that guy he did this solo during a breakdown of stray cat strut that would just blow your mind you know as an upright bass player right and and so that that's a completely different instrument but The purpose is the same, Um, the upright and the way you approach it, the way you play, it's a whole different technique. It's a whole different animal, but the guy blew me away every night. You know, Um, I worked with Velvet Revolver and got to see Duff do his thing every night. I've, you know, and then seen him with guns. Um, Todd Kearns, who plays with Slash, again, a guitar player that plays bass, but Todd is-
0: He's special.
2: He really is, yeah, because I mean the singing, the singing, the high harmony parts that he does, his energy live. The guy's just a natural-born rock star, right? And I I set I've seen Slash's solo band more than I've seen anybody else because I was with him for the first three years of that thing and helped him put it together in the beginning. And uh Brent Fitz brought Todd in, right? I brought Brent in. Brent brought Todd in, and when I saw Todd perform for the first time, I'm going, like this guy, and we used to call him that we used to call him the secret weapon, you know because he's just
0: The secret weapon
2: I, he's so like when you're watching that band on stage, you're drawn to him, right? Yeah. It's just that kind of thing, and I've seen that band. I must have I seen wait, like four hundred gigs,
0: or
2: <laughs> yeah i can't even tell you how many shows we did in those three years i mean from two well yeah 2010 11 and 12.
0: yeah i got to we see it <laughs>
2: yeah we were on the road we were on the road for 10 months a year you know i mean we did <laughs> we did shows and you know the other thing about todd is he's one of the most beautiful humans that you'll ever meet i love him to death he's one of the funniest people i've ever known uh, he and I had a lot of laughs together over the years. And, you know, I was also the one that went to the every hospital in Europe on days off with him when he had his, de- his detached retina. You know, I mean, we would sit together in emergency room waiting rooms for nine hours, you know, and just like, uh. But, you know, we we were making sure that he was okay to keep going or if we had to get him home. And the only way to do that was to see a doctor every day. And it wasn't like we could just... We weren't in places where there was a doctor who was an optometrist that was a rock fan that we could call to have come in. So, yeah, we spent a lot of time together just in the oddest circumstances, yeah. you know. I
0: got to see him at Nam this year. I got to give
2: him a hug, say hi. I just saw him last month. I went out there and uh, visited for a couple of days and we got to sit and have a coffee together with, all, with, with him and Brent and Frank. And uh, we laughed, you know, it's just you pick up because we have this bond, you know, we spent all this time together. I mean, it was I spent more time with them than I did with anybody else in my life those three years, you know, and. uh, it was fun because those guys were the guys that on days off, like we were always together, you Mm -hmm. know, we would go and do things together. We would go have meals. We would go to record stores. We would, you know, whatever we, you know, go and see things. That was what we did. And (laughs) I mean, I took that whole band to the Vatican you know, like it's just one of the weirdest, it was, a, it was such a weird moment. Yeah. You know, slash and miles and, oh, uh, it's just the weirdest thing, you know, but, uh, those moments were great. You know, those are great moments, you know, and, uh, I used to, we used to have this thing together. Uh I guess it's an important thing to understand Todd's sense of humor and his, just his gift. Right. So, for years, the first two years of the tour, I mean, they would open with "Ghost" most most of the time. So there's this big drum fill, and then the guitar comes in, and the bass lays back right until the verse kicks in. Mm-hmm. So I would do my intros, mm-hmm. I would do the you know, you know that whole thing, and you know, are you ready to okay. you know that no, whole never- that whole.
0: anyone's listening or watching or listening and they've been to a slash show this was the voice behind the hello
2: the solo the solo bands and i was only doing it as a tribute to mcbob who had done it for years with guns and roses and velvet revolver because he wasn't out with us so for me i was the only one that was like hey uh you got to do this and i'm like
0: radio voice
2: (laughs) oh yeah so i just went up and did the whole you know but i mean again huge kiss fan And McBob's whole thing was always kind of like making fun of the kiss intro, right? Like it was kind of like a tribute, but you know, tongue in cheek way of doing it. So yeah, I just went up and I was like, yeah, all right. And in the beginning, we didn't have a band name, so it was just slash featuring miles Kennedy and these other guys. Right? So every night I would just make up a band name. And if you, if anybody has any of the live recordings from that tour, you can listen to them all and they're a different band every night, you know, and I just kind of, and whatever it was, I tried to come up with something that would make Todd laugh before mm-hmm. he would go into the, to the song. Yeah, <laughs> Cause he, you know, he would hear me in his ears, you know, and, and I would even go over, sometimes I would start talking to him while he was supposed to be, you know, and just to get him, just to get him laughing before it started, you know, and that was, um, that was the relationship that we had. And we're, that's why we're still friends now, you know? And I, I admire him so much. If you don't know who Todd Kearns is, just go buy the Tuke records.
0: He has and, his own Canada day. Canada. Yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, he's,
0: he's yeah.
2: He's got his rock rock star on the Canadian rock hall of fame. And I yeah. mean, the
0: guy he's. He's amazing. I, yeah, I definitely want to get him on the show for yeah, sure. Yeah.
2: And you know, the Tuke, the Tuke song, the, the original song uh, is never enough. Mm-hmm. It's one of the greatest, I would say melodic rock songs that I've heard in 30 years.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: and it's, you know, that's, an, that's a tribute to all of them in the band, but Todd's vocal is the part that you're going to sit back and go, wow, and just, you know, he's just a great rock singer you know, and he's on the new Dave Ellison record. He's, he's popping up all over the place now. Like people are starting to realize like this guy's, you know, he's the real deal.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, one of the other guys that I have to mention in here, who I think that doesn't get the credit he deserves is Rudy Sarzo.
0: Rudy, yeah.
2: Everybody knows Rudy, everybody yeah. loves him. If you know him as a person, He's just this beautiful, beautiful person. I I honestly, I don't know anyone who uh, in this business that I think has a bigger heart than Rudy Sarzo, right? And I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but Rudy's always been maligned as he's the live guy. He's not on a lot of records, you know, for whatever reason. It's just been the way that his career has gone. But I will say this, when you listen to Rudy play, and you listen to the variety of what he can do and how he throws down, Rudy's one of the most talented bass players that you're ever going to come across. Um, But, you know, people give him this hard time about, well, he's always on tour, but he's never on the records. Well, you know, let's, let's look at it from another angle. Who was the bass player that played on the record then? And why aren't they out there? Probably because they were an asshole that nobody wanted to take on the road with them, you know, and Rudy is not that guy. Rudy is, you know he's played with Ozzy he's played with Quiet Riot he played with Dio he played with Whitesnake it's he's in the guess who and I got to recommend him for that gig right and that's and we did Monster Circus together in 2008-2009 I got to put together a band of guys that I grew up listening to to do this Vegas show right and for all the wrong reasons the show didn't happen and it didn't last because there, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen backstabbing bullshit from other people. I mean, one of the guys that I brought into the show was involved in that. And I, and he's a guy that I grew up listening to. And I hate the fact that I think of him now, when I look at that guy and I see him and we still talk and we're, you know, we buried the hatchet, but I still will always think of that, of his backstabbing bullshit when i think of him yeah so there's the scar in there for that rudy was a gem you know he was one of those guys that like as a kid you know again huge white snake fan how could you not be when you were a kid and that 87 record came out and they were all in those videos and quiet riot you know the first hard rock band ever have a number one album you know what i mean Ozzy the tribute stuff the you know those records were defining albums of that time Rudy's on Metal Health part of it you know most of it uh he's on the tribute record you know the Ozzy Randy Rhodes tribute album and he was the touring bassist in White Snake and played on you know Slip of the Tongue and but it was his face you know it was his persona his again he's another guy with a stage presence that is unmatched you know there's a performance that comes with Rudy Sarzo that you're never going to, you're not going to get from anybody else, you know, Um, just one of the greatest people that I've ever encountered in this business, you know, and we had a lot of them though, you know, we had a great band of guys, you know, and it was, but Rudy, for me as a bass player, I got to watch Rudy play all these songs live every night, you know, and it was, and it was cool because here he is, he's Rudy Sarzo, but he's playing Motley Crue. He's playing Ozzy songs, he's playing White Snake songs, Quiet Riot, Velvet Revolver, Guns N' Roses, Great White, you know, whatever, we Twisted Sister, uh, Cinderella tracks, all these guys that were in the band. And Rudy was the guy holding it down the whole time. And it was all these different styles and he would go out there and just kill it, you yeah. know? And I, you know, There's not there's a guy that if if all I ever did was get to tour as a bass player,
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I'd be I'd be okay with that. You know, I'm getting to play live. I'm getting to play in front of people. There's a lot of guys that, you know, you could be a great session player. You could be great in the studio. But again, if you're if you don't fit in, you don't go on the road, you know.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of how I wanted to encompass that last question as well. It, 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 there's nobody that's going to be the best out there. It's really just who's right for the job and who's a good hang. Um, if we did this whole thing on YouTube, Zepparella and uh, we did this like, uh, uh, like, tips for, and, um, like tips for bands, and it was like 50 something tips for bands, and it was basically you know you've got to be a good hang you've got to be cool you've got to play your part you've got to be part of the band you've got to know your stuff you know independently you need to be a good bassist, but you also have to be a good musician and a good team player and um, you know even though uh, you're saying, you know, Rudy's awesome and, and Todd is awesome. And, you know, Todd probably has more tricks up his sleeve as far as things he can do, but because Rudy can still do everything and he's yeah. such a gem, you know, they're both really awesome and doing, you know, the getting gigs.
2: Yeah. It's, it's funny because Rudy is probably the epitome of playing what needs to be played for mm-hmm. that, for his gig. Right. I mean, so he comes into White Snake he's inherited already a 10 year band, right. That's had multiple bass players throughout their, their history already. He comes in and does the tour, delivers all of that stuff. Ozzy, you know, Bob Daisley recorded those two solo records, you know, the first two and Bob's an incredible player, you know, plays on the upbeat a lot. Again, the early Whitesnake bass player was the same kind of thing. And Uh, Neil Murray and Rudy comes in and just, yeah. Okay. You know, but bam. And, but does it in a way where he goes on on stage live and steals the show. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine you're in a three piece band? You've got your front man. You've got Tommy Aldridge as your drummer (laughs) and you've got Randy Rhodes as the guitar player. And it's just the three of you Mm
0: -hmm. up
2: there. And then Ozzy in the front doing his thing. Like that band, those three guys on stage together, when you really think about it in the hard rock world and the rock world, you have to consider that to be one of the greatest lineups of all time.
0: Yeah.
2: And maybe, maybe not at that time. Maybe they didn't realize at that time who these three guys all were. But now, you know, 40 years later, it's pretty amazing when you look back at that and think that those three guys were in that band on stage together. Yeah. You know? I mean, David Lee Roth's solo band was pretty impressive. Sheehan and Greg Bisnett and Steve Vai. Different thing, Yeah. but perfect for Dave. I mean, I can't imagine Dave's songs having the impact that they had without that lineup being a part of it. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just that special. You know, yeah. again, the perfect, perfect situation. Yeah. To me, Steve Vai doesn't belong anywhere else. He, mm-hmm. he did not belong in Whitesnake. Mm-hmm. He doesn't belong in anybody else's band. Yeah. The only band that I ever could see him in as a member of a band is David Lee Roth. Yeah. And he's great as a solo act. He does his own thing, but he's never been able to do it again in a band. And that yeah. band was a perfect band for that guy. So I I look at that Ozzy lineup as the same thing. It's kind of every lineup of Ozzy's band since then, they aspire to be that band live. They might not be on the records together. They might, you know, it might be one or two of them, but the Blizzard of Oz touring band is the band that every band that Ozzy had afterwards, like I wanted to be, you know, I want it to be as good as that.
0: Yeah. Yes. And Don
2: Airy, of course, on keys up in the up in the <laughs> the, the pulpit of the castle, up above the stage. You
0: know, but, do you think there's ever been a band that you can recall that was worse if they lost after they lost an incredible bassist? Anything comes? That's
2: it, that? that's, a, that's a loaded question, right? It, <laughs> um, you know, it. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna answer it like this because it's changed like a lot of these bands kind of you, you they go through all these things and I, i'm just thinking the stuff that we've been talking about i'm sure if i had if that was a, a prep question i'm sure i could go back and look at it and think about yeah this is um i can't i can't imagine guns and roses without duff mm-hmm. i can't imagine black sabbath even though it's been done without geezer butler but it's just not the same um, yeah. they've had a thousand different singers And they've always managed to sound somewhat like Black Sabbath, but without Geezer and Bill, or without Geezer and Vinny.
0: Yeah,
2: Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, I can't imagine Kiss without Gene. I've seen Van Halen without Michael Anthony, and Wolfie is an incredible, talented bass player and guitarist. He's he's incredibly talented, anyway. But it just was a different thing, you know. And, And it's, I can't imagine Aerosmith without Tom Hamilton. I just can't, I don't, you know, Deep Purple changed when Roger Glover left and Glenn Hughes came in as a different animal, but Burn is still one of the greatest records that they ever did. That's with Glenn, but the Roger Glover, Ian Gillen lineup of that band is the definitive lineup because of their songwriting, because of their, whatever it is, it's that was the magic, right? I I don't know.
0: So you're saying bass is important. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I would like to think so. I mean, I, th- but I think it's the chemistry. I mean, it's what we talk about all the time. It's like, Oh, if it's not the original guys, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I can't agree with that. Yeah. I do think that bands have succeeded in going on without the original members. And I'm a fan. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want to hear the music. Yeah. Right? I mean, I even love going to see lineups of thin Lizzie without mm-hmm. Phil because I wanted to hear the friggin' songs. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a, I mean, I, Phil couldn't be there, you know? I mean, Metallica, Metallica suffered when they lost Cliff. Jason was an, inc- he was the right pick. He was right. the right guy. They treated him like shit. He should have been all over and justice for all. The bass sound should have been as just- is in your face as anything else they had done.
0: Yeah. It, just, it, have you heard that? And just, which, there is a, there is, uh, we talked about it in our last podcast. Um, there's a, an album online. It's called Injustice for Jason and actually has the right bass parts in it. It has-
2: Where it's been the remix.
0: Phenomenal. Yeah.
2: And you know what? <laughs> the Black album, they changed, the music changed so much, but the Black album was a brilliant record, right? And people are gonna, they can shit talk it all day long. It's not heavy enough. It doesn't sound like, it's not as progressive as the other stuff was. That's fine. They still wrote great songs on it. Now, they lost me after the Black album. I think they've been chasing it since then. I think that Def Leppard has been chasing Hysteria since Hysteria came out, right? I mean, and and they're, but that's just my opinion. You know, that's as a music fan, those are records that, you know, sometimes you can't recover from those moments. Yeah. You know, I mean, Guns has been chasing Appetite. And that's their debut, you yeah. know I mean? And that's, there's, there's stuff that, you know, Deep Purple may have been chasing Machine Head and Burn and, you know, and they've had those moments, you know, those, the perfect strangers, the perpendiculars, those, those records that should be considered in their top five because of that, you know, um, it's just a hard thing. Like for me, well, I, again, I grew up a Kiss fan. The original two, you know, those other two bums, they got kicked out of the band or they got fired or whatever. And they, you know, and that's the band carried on. I grew up on the decade after where they were still selling millions of records because of these other, you know, and they had other guys in the band. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard for me to accept that argument. You know, it's, there's always, look, there's always someone that can take your place. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> there's it's that way whether you're a musician or whether you're a crew guy or in anything you know in life and if you're a husband or a wife there's yeah. always somebody that can take your place you know
0: which i think is a very important uh thing to 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 say is you know even though you might be a good or okay bassist if you're not a good hang you will be replaced but if you're a badass bassist and you're a shitty person, you're probably going to be replaced. It's been half, it's happened many it's, times, before.
2: <laughs> you know, people don't realize it's you live together when you do this.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: I mean, I live on a bus or, you know, whatever with 12 other people. Yeah, you know? sometimes it's a band, sometimes it's crew.
0: Yeah.
2: But I mean, if you if you're a pain in the ass, or you're somebody that causes problems all the time, you're not going to last, no. you'll get another job because Oh, look at this guy's resume. He worked for this guy and this guy and these people. And yeah, but sometimes yeah. that that doesn't last because of who you are,
1: mm-hmm. you know?
2: And that part is, uh, you know, it, that's, the, that's the mystery of the business, right? That's what it comes down to in the end is okay. um, if you fit in, if you can live with everybody else, you know, if you can do that without being a, a nuisance. <laughs> and in a band situation, you know, yeah, there has to be, you have to have that chemistry. I mean, yeah. that, that all gets poured into what makes the records. That's, and if you don't have any songs, then you're nothing anyway. It doesn't make a difference.
0: Exactly. Yeah. You
2: know? I mean, you know, it's, there's so many of those little nuances that people forget about or don't think about because, you know, we're, you're listening to the albums. People yeah. don't think about that stuff until, until they're like, Oh, what happened to so-and-so, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. The guy from the Rival Sons, the original bass player, he was phenomenal. I mean, when you listen to those first few records, you're, go, you're like, wow, this is, this guy was, again, off the charts you That's know, right. on his own planet. But yeah. they found a guy to take his place that is just yeah. as amazing. And, but that guy set the bar, right? So this, this helped define our sound. We have to have somebody that can do this, otherwise. You know?
0: That's true. So. Awesome. Well, that was some really awesome information from you today. I really appreciate your...
2: Informa- oh, I've given you information that you didn't know about. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Before we leave, there's one guy that I suggest people check out as a bassist mm-hmm. who most people probably don't know. Um, there was a band called Union mm-hmm. for a very short period of time at the end of the 90s. John Karabi, Bruce Kulick, Brent Fitz from Slash's band before anybody knew who he was. The bass player's name was Jamie Hunting.
0: Okay.
2: Jamie has played with Roger Daltrey since then. played with Vince Neil for a little while with Brent. Um, Jamie's his own, you know, guy. I've never really met him. I've just heard crazy stories about him. He's just, you know, one of those kind of guys. But as a bass player, the guy has his own unique approach to what they did. Uh, He's a piano player as well, so there's definitely some interesting aspects of what he chooses to play behind music because he looks at it you know, from a melodic <laughs> standpoint, but as a, but with a real sense of bass. And yeah. if you listen to what he did on those two studio records, okay. um, there it's mind blowing, right? <laughs> like there's just some moments in there where you're like, what that? Where did where did that come from? You know, like where, who even would think of that? You know, to put that in there, and just hugely underrated under he'll never be heard you know those records are you know they're already obscure and hard to find but there's a lot of talent on those two albums and uh his bass playing was a huge huge on those things so definitely something to check out if you're a bassist
0: okay for sure yeah yeah, well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it was fun to do this. So that was my awesome interview with Pete Merluzzi, who has been on tour since he was at, out of college, pretty much. And then he became a tour accountant and you know tour manager, and you know, he's just he's he's done it all and seen it all. So pretty good insights.
1: Yeah, and and making sure that we all know about the total package.
0: Yeah, the total package of a bass player. It's not just that you can play the songs. It's you know, you've got to look the part for the band, you've got to play the parts well, you've got to be a good hang, you've got to, you know, know your role as a bass player, <laughs> you have to right. know all of that stuff, and and that's kind of what this show is for, it's it's to kind of open eyes, where, you know, if you're if you're going to play bass, you might as well play it right, because it's a big instrument, and it's big shoes to fill, and some of the people he, he named are some of the best electric bassists on the planet, and... I think that uh, some of the ones that he named are the underdogs as well. It's just, you know, you really have to take into account that there's some people out there that are doing some big stuff.
1: And I'd like to point out, too, you said uh, you just have to, if you're going to play bass, play it right, right? That's subjective. Just like who the best bass player is. (laughs) It's subjective, but... You know people always get so heated on who's the best and who's the well they're all the best right it's just who's the best fit that's what it really means when you say who's the best at anything it's really just who's the best fit you know for that song for that band for that tour for that album you know some people are the best fit in the studio and they suck going on the road with yeah you know and because of that they need another bass player who's the best fit for the tour, you know, but maybe he's not the best fit for the studio. But Mm. yet they both, you know, bring their take to it. And that's another thing, too, is like how many you spoke about how you like to hear a band live sound like they do on their album. Mm. I used to hate that in the beginning, Um, you know, listening to albums and then going and seeing a band live. and it's just not the same band i have uh, there's a couple bands i don't want to name them because it's not the most positive thing about a band but there's been a few bands where you know their albums are phenomenal and then you uh you know maybe they have a lot of samples they have a lot of you know low end um you know all that that programming right and then you go and see them live and they're just like a shitty hardcore band Mm you know and it, the songs don't sound anything like that um <laughs>
0: yeah i that's my biggest pet peeve in rock right now is the the bands that don't really look like how they sound
1: well you uh, mean like all of them
0: well for instance no i'm not going to name names but right <laughs> when you see <laughs> when you see them you know and I'd say guys because I don't see a bunch of girls doing this, but guys up there with a bunch of, you know, like they look like they're in a goth band, but they're singing love songs.
1: Well, that's and, just the Cure, girl. You just I showed don't up.
0: Get you... it? No, the Cure is totally different. I mean, they they have their own like thing. That was the '80s, but like now, I don't know. I mean, I would think that those guys would sing something like the Cure, but they don't. They it's it's just weird. You know,
1: I want to... Uh, but it's their thing. It's their thing. People who don't, don't look the part, if we want to try and be, like, super relevant, have you seen that Machine Gun Kelly performance with uh, with Travis Barker? I have not. So he plays guitar now. He mm-hmm. plays a Pink Schecter now.
0: I saw him get um, killed in a movie a couple
1: days ago. <laughs> he uh, Stevie T made a, a YouTube video about uh, how bad his one millimeter off bend sounded you know because when you get so close but yet you're so far and you, he, he hit the solo he does a bend and you were like oh, okay. you know it makes you make the sour face
0: yeah
1: right um but i i wanna i wanna petition i think everybody should go to machine gun kelly's twitter and at bass cafe with holly and dean i'm just gonna tell you right now i take it offense that when he did that performance that there was no bass player and he played guitar like shit like that <laughs> If you had a bass player, maybe the bass player could have done a bass slide and saved his solo. No, no live bass player. No respect.
0: No respect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I understand, you know, you want to be, I mean, I don't mind two pieces.
1: That's two S-bombs in this episode, by the way. I don't know if I'm feeling froggy. I'm
0: feeling
1: froggy. Or... I think <laughs> feeling... I
0: did one. I think I did one. <laughs> Does that help? Does that hurt us? I don't know, but. <laughs> nah. Anyways, um so so yeah, basically you've gotta have a full package. If you get the bassist's primary role is to have the full package.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, be, be the total package. Like and this just like a lot of our, our tips and tricks, you know, everything is focused at the viewpoint of a bass player. But all of this can be taken across like a lot of these morals can be taken across all band members, mm-hmm. right? everybody needs to be the total package that's yeah. where again we're gonna come into well who's the best the best fit well the guy who or girl or gal or they or non you know they uh they have to fit in every aspect we have to find the groove we have to expand the vocals we have to cover up the guitars we have to guide the drummer back on. If, you know, if, if the drummer's working off backing tracks and I've had this happen, the backing tracks go down. If the drummer has his in-ears in, he can't always hear what's going on, even if the backing track stops, unless he like is able to pull it out. But if you're a band that has no amps on stage and your drummer's working off backing tracks, his drums are probably playing louder than your monitor all the way up in the front of the stage, and there's times when we have to go over there and be the visual cue yeah. with the drummer to get everyone, you know, on target. Yeah. Um, it's really, really important. You know, we we become that that glue. That's really our job. I'll, you know, we're gonna say it very many times across these episodes. If you want to be a good bass player, be the glue that binds everyone, you know, and always be willing to cover up someone's mistake when you're in a band, when you're in a band. That's the objective. We're all supposed to work off each other and get each other's backs, you know, in melody and in rhythm. Yep. And sometimes fourth time shit <laughs> happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's true. Yeah, we <laughs> look at uh the way Paul McCartney um, you know, uh plays his bass parts, John Paul Jones plays his bass parts. They're they're marrying the music, they're marrying the bass and the drums and the vocals, they're marrying everything together. They're really um making sure that the, the glue is there. And I think they they figured it out, you know? Those two definitely did.
1: <laughs> I love it too because For a bass player and we talked about this a little bit in the first episode we have different ways that we can add bass to a song right you can play an upright Mm -hmm. you can play oh man like one of my favorites pink floyd and the fretless bass yeah um what there there's just a few songs where you just you hear the bass sliding in and providing this leading melody. in the show must go on, by mm-hmm. Queen. I play that with Nita Strauss live at tons of gigs. That the the intro of that song, it's very like a very fast moving, not fast moving, but it's a very like moving bass line. It it speaks as well as providing rhythm, as well as not always moving on the one, you know, some of those um, scale runs, they go on a triplet beat
0: mm-hmm.
1: while the rest of the band is pushing a four, four, you know, like that's a whole other aspect of it, you know, being that in between.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The sweet spot. Yeah. The, the to- is the sweet spot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to quote Mudvayne, uh, the space between a blink and a tear, death blooms. Okay. There go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the most important things about being the total package is practice. Know the material. Yeah. You can't be the glue for a band if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. If you don't know what you're supposed to be doing so much to the point where you could do it in your sleep, then when stuff goes awry in the set, you won't know how to recover, right? You have to be able to know everything inside and out. You have to have played the song so many times that you've already made all the mistakes in all of the different spots. So, you know, like... If you mess up coming out of the chorus or if that drummer's drum fill throws you off or if you know that the drummer, every time he does this one fill live, um, he improvises it. And sometimes it's like a beat longer. Sometimes it's a beat, you know, earlier. And that happens all the time, you know, like there's so many drummers that get gigs and then they they improvise on a fill and sometimes they hit an extra note. Yeah. And that's the band that has to fix. It's not the drummer. Right. Drums are the most noticeable. I, I've been teaching this to my students for years. If the drums mess up, the band has to correct to the drums. Yeah. The drums don't <laughs> correct. No. The drums just keep going and the band shifts back on to the there's,
0: drums. There is a funny story that Zephyrilla tells and I'll tell it because we've told it in, in stuff before, so I don't think they would mind. But there was a show that they were doing, and they all agreed on the first song, but Clem, our drummer, thought it was The Rover, and then the other bandmates thought it was House of, Houses of the Holy. So she started out with The Rover, and they started out <laughs> in it for a while. <laughs> a, a, a very Because they thought that Clem would get back on track, and Clem thought they would get back on track, and it just never happened.
1: (laughs) We call that in the industry um, a remix.
0: (laughs) It's a remix. Or or,
1: or a mashup, right? (laughs) A mashup. The uh, European single edition. (laughs) The extended producer's cut.
0: (laughs) The producer's cut, that's what that was.
1: So, uh, yeah watch me for the changes
0: i've been talking a lot about practicing and how your brain works on my podcast uh, this last podcast that i did for holly's podcast and um you know the brain doesn't know when you mess up it just knows what information you're putting in it's like an input right so if you're doing a run and you mess up on a part your mind thinks that it's correct but you know that you need to go back and, and do it, right? So it puts this. It's thing funny. Violent... I feel
1: like we just talked about this, maybe in a text message or something about sure. about typos, right? Yeah. Like our, yeah. when we when we make mistakes, that, and, and that's another the great point is like record yourself mm-hmm. because so many times I've been playing or learning a band's material, and I think I'm doing it right because I'm listening to the song and I'm. I'm playing, and I don't realize that I'm hitting this one note wrong because my yeah. brain is just filling in the mistakes. Yeah. You it's, know, uh, so And then you always- record yourself and listen back, and when you're not playing, you're like, oh, wait a minute.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That sounds off.
0: Crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a thing called the myelin sheath, and it basically coats whatever you're doing, whatever synapses, whatever information is going on in that synapses, it coats it and it like locks it in. This is an actual thing that happens. So the best way to practice is to practice so slow that you don't make any mistakes, then your brain starts to, your brain will learn it with no mistakes and then you can go faster, so slow down to go faster
1: that's golden rule in all the years that i've been teaching it was one of the best things that i ever learned way yeah. back in the day when i was trying to learn like sweep picking and stuff mm-hmm. um and i but do sweep style wild. picking on bass on bass as well like you have to go slow mm-hmm. if you want i have this uh this little thing that i get into on my patreon at patreon.com dean music official But I have this great little uh, group of vlogs and blogs that I'm going to be posting up there. And one of them is called Dean's List. And they're they're like these little phrases that I come up with um, to help my students. Because I found as I was teaching, I would just repeat a lot of the same stuff. So I started writing it down. And one of my favorite quotes, I'm going to try and remember it off the top of my head. But um, if you want to run with sea legs, first you must learn to crawl with crutches. Right. It's like super complex in that thought. But if you've anyone who's ever been on a boat that's on the waves and they try to run, they'll understand that, you know, like if you want to, like, be on a tour bus while it's in a construction zone, you have to have your sea legs. Right. And in order to do that, you just you have to go really slow. You really, really, really have to go slow. It's the best thing that you can do as a musician.
0: Well, scientifically, that's, this is why it, you have to. <laughs> I think that your brain doesn't work any other way.
1: <laughs> right. And and I, I love typo negative, right? And nobody goes slower than them. No. <laughs> nobody. If you have <laughs> not heard it yet, <laughs> there's a voice. song <laughs> they cover. They cover She's So Heavy. It's like a mashup song that they do. Um, but they cover She's So Heavy by The Beatles. <laughs> and mm-hmm. at the end of the song, every time around, they get like five or ten beats per minute slower and, <laughs> and they and they do it like seven or eight times like you think every time that it's the the last one because it's so slow and then it goes and gets lower. Hey. Anybody can play fast. Not everyone can play slow.
0: That's truth. That's the truth. Yeah, because a lot of people fumble through their do their fast playing
1: going slower is harder. Hate hate to be the bearer yeah. of bad news yeah. for everyone who wants yeah. to be like you know, Thunderfiles <laughs> with their their picks or their fingers.
0: Well, the reason we don't want to go slow is because it and um, it, it, it's exactly the opposite of what we want to do, right? We want to play it at time, or we want to play it faster in time, just to so know that we know it. But it's the complete opposite of what we want to do. So, it but you know, if you if you have uh, patience, you know, patience patience is a virtue. Like if you hell of a drug (laughs) if you can be patient and work on little things you know it doesn't really take you that much longer it would take you longer to mess up 10 times than it will to to get it down once and play it through a couple more times and you're fine
1: nita um has a rule of thumb where she says she plays something five times before she either speeds like five times without a single mistake Mm until she either like speeds it up or moves on
0: yeah
1: it's a you know and it's it's crazy because you can play something five times with no mistakes if you play it super slow Mm
2: -hmm.
1: quicker than you can play it a thousand times double the speed with a bunch of mistakes you know like Mm -hmm. yeah it's you're better off doing it that way and it's that muscle memory
0: uh-huh. It's a muscle memory and your your brain remembers where it messes up and it thinks that it, it did the right thing. So it's going to continue to mess up in that spot until you go slow and actually, you know, lock it in in your brain, basically.
1: For sure. For sure. And like so much of that just comes with when you have something that is on your plate, whatever it is, drill, drill, drill it, drill it, drill it drill it over and over again
0: yeah yeah and i I talk a lot about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset and you know if you have a growth mindset you're going to learn a lot more a fixed mindset doesn't really learn a lot they think that everything's just if they if they're not good everything's against them and they don't have any talent anyways and you know whatever but a, a growth mindset knows that talent is is uh disguised as practice and if you have a growth mindset, you're going to sit down, you're going to, you're going to deliberately practice things that make you better and you will get better.
1: Yeah. You're supposed to practice the things that you suck at. And unfortunately we never want to do that because no, we suck at it.
0: Exactly.
1: You know, <laughs> yeah. and and most musicians, like we're usually not yeah. beaming with self confidence, like not, you know, some are, but not all are like, it takes a certain kind of personality to, lock yourself in your room for 10 hours a day and play your guitar and not so pre-covid you know like uh you know not associating with people um it it you know it used to be strange it used to be strange to be locked in your room and just sit and hone a skill for years Mm um you know, you get rumors spread about you in high school and stuff, you know, like what you know, why why does this, this crazy gothic kid ever come out? It's cause he's sitting home playing guitar and, and then the
0: crazy years, gothic kid.
1: And and then in ten years you're gonna be hitting him up for like, you know, guest list at the show because they play for someone and you're just some you know union <laughs> worker <laughs> who hates their <laughs> life.
0: <laughs> you beef with somebody? That's no, good. <laughs>
1: Maybe yeah, couple two. I choose. think it just
0: always happens. It always happens that way, you know. Because yeah, yeah. the the people who play the instruments are usually the artistic type and very introverted. Most, not all of them, but some very introverted and very, um, you know, not they're not the life of the party. But what happens is when they put on their record and you really like it, they all of a sudden become the leader of the pack. So.
1: <laughs> and that stuff is sometimes, like indescribable about how it comes out too like Mm -hmm. for those who have seen me on stage i'm a nutbag (laughs) i'm crazy you know um depending on the gig i've tamed it down here and there but i like to go you know i one of my my favorite bands of all time is like nine is nine inch nails and Mm not so much nine inch nails from 2020 but nine inch nails from like 98 99 97 and all they did was trash the stage Mm. like that's the band that i liked you know the band that came onto the stage trashed everything Mm. went ape the music still sounded awesome as the gear was breaking along the way (laughs) you know (laughs) you go to a nine inch nails concert and if you're anywhere in the first 20 rows you're gonna get a key from a keyboard that got <laughs> shattered you know and they just like keep rolling the keyboards in you know like there was that's just the type of stuff that i always gravitated towards but you have to if you're going to do that right you have to be so well practiced with your music that you can do that stuff
0: yeah absolutely right absolutely. and yeah. I, there's many times where part of my practice was standing up with my bass playing
1: listen up kids
0: uh the music as i'm dancing along to the to the song like it's a dress rehearsal basically with nobody there Um uh, it's it's so important and like you were saying you know you got to eat sleep breathe it and, and when you're you know you got to dream about it like if you're if you're not able to do it in your sleep then you need to be able to do it in your sleep you need to take a little bit of extra time and, and really really get it down
1: yeah and you just gotta you gotta drill it and then you know and then it becomes sink or swim trial by fire absolutely and if you don't make it so what you know if you don't get that gig so what that's yeah. not the end even the yeah. the biggest gig that i've ever gotten even though i would love any <clears throat> any band that i'm a part of i always think about doing it for the rest of my life like if i'm playing with someone even if i'm just a hired gun i if I'm playing with someone, it's because I want to, too. You know, it's not just for the paychecks, because I want to do it, right? And so any band that I've gotten hired from, I would love to be that band member for the rest of time.
0: Yeah.
1: But if not, eh, not the end of my, pa- my path, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep playing and keep doing. Keep, you know, luckily, we don't work bass. You
0: mm-hmm. know,
1: luckily, we don't have to do anything other than play yeah exactly what we wanted to do
0: yeah exactly
1: um but yeah so much of of performing too is also moving around like there's tons of with that upright behind you right there's tons of people who just stand there and they're like doo, 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 doo. <laughs> but you ever see a rockabilly bass player yeah <laughs> they're doing like the you know jump jiving and wailing speaking of uh brian setzer right
0: yeah oh so that's a part of that interview he's talking about touring with brian and he said the the guy that played stand-up bass for brian got the job he didn't even know how to play stand-up bass he he played it for that He he learned how to play it for that gig and he said it would blow your mind how badass that guy was
1: so I just heard this story about the Brian Setzer band from uh, my boss over at the School of Rock, um, Tevis. She was friends with the bass player from Brian Setzer and they used to um, go to the shows. And there was one time where she's a bass player, but she had never played an upright bass before. So I want to talk about difference in techniques, right? Yeah. Um, she would get pulled up on the stage all the time to do backup, backup vocals, right? Mm-hmm. And one day the bass player just walked up to her Grabbed her, yeah. Threw her on the bass and said, "It's in B flat," and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> right? Great. Right. Talk about no time to prepare. Huh? Never played a stand-up bass before. Like you know, like the the fingering technique, the no frets. You know, <laughs> like all of that. Yeah. And she got through it, man. She got through it. She she played along to it, but you know, there's also. You can fake it until you know what you're doing too. There's that.
0: Well, that's what we.
1: If someone did that to me, I would. I could probably, if I got pulled up on stage in that case, I'm. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to bet that I could at least 65 percent probability that I could smash it out of the park. At least 65 percent, even not having a single idea what string is in what tuning or whatever, just by having that familiarity. Of yeah. knowing how things resonate off of one another.
0: Yeah. yeah I can't <laughs> wait until we get into like ear training and stuff like that in later episodes. We're going to get into so much really cool stuff like that.
1: I know. I know. Because like and, to, uh, as a bass player, our number one thing that we can do
0: uh-huh.
1: is a well-timed slide. <laughs> <laughs> a well-timed slide not only makes the song so much better. But if it's a well-timed slide because you messed up and it makes the phone <laughs> better, we're talking couple birds, one stone here.
0: Well-timed slides make the world go round. Right.
1: Make the hits <laughs> go round.
0: ooh <Ooh-hoo. laughs> Awesome. A single well, lady. <laughs> we got into some really awesome stuff today. And <laughs> we're so... So happy that we could uh, bring such awesome information to everybody, especially about the primary role of a bassist. Because I think a lot of people just, you know, some people think, oh, they're just up there playing, you know, whatever. But there's so much to the bass, and if you don't and to know be that, fair
1: though, they no, can know. be.
0: Oh, they can be. They can be. They yeah, can I be. You them. know,
1: you can go up and you can play bass and you can mail it in. You mm-hmm. can do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's but. True. You can mail anything in i
1: guess but but yeah you yeah exactly but not if you're doing it the way hopefully like any of you who are watching this right now you're probably lovers of music and odds are you're not looking to mail it in and that's why you're here and because of that we thank you so very much for joining us on our third episode of bass cafe with holly and dean this is so cool yeah so cool i was a little tired today so this was good this is it was good but i i i'm so happy to be doing this i when you love what you do Mm -hmm. um or sorry when you do what you love you just might find that that you love what you do that's
0: right yeah and you've been teaching all day huh on your page i have
1: been yeah and uh my son also does virtual school here during the day too so it's like i'm not only just teaching the music lessons but i'm also you know Open, also yeah. in eighth grade at the same time, <laughs> you know. I'm, like I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm in eighth grade and I teach Rock One Hundred and One and Little Wing and uh private lessons. You know, I'm also the part time mechanic uh, whenever my car breaks down. You know, all those things. Perfect. We're a uh, master of uh, a couple trades.
0: <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Well, thanks everyone for tuning in today and um, thanks Pete Merluzzi for being our guest. Yeah, thank you so much.
1: He's so cool. I can't wait to uh, see what people say about his responses about who is the best bass player. That's Mm.
0: right. Who is it? Who? (laughs) Okay, well, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much.
1: Bye guys. Remember, like, share, subscribe, and spread the word about Bass Cafe with Holly and Dean please yeah. visit me on patreon.com slash dean music official and holly at uh patreon.com holly holly music right
0: yes and my website www.hollywestmusic
1: and i'm deanmusicofficial.com thank you so very much have a great day everybody bye guys